existing. Okay. Properties, change the color. If somebody can join us, then I can, with the setup that I've got, I can add somebody in real easy. Um, okay. If not, all right. I would, uh, it's so late. So no, I late. know. Uh, That's all right. No, like, like even, even in England, like, no, oh. like, it's like, it is late over there or else I would, I knew somebody who would jump on the subject topic. They would jump on it. I know. I have people that we game with in England and we're like, or Sweden and things like that. And we're like. How do we line this up, everybody? Let's do this. We can do this. So it's like early morning on Saturdays. I have Australian folks that were interested, and they're all like, I can't actually do anything until July. And I'm like, why? Why are you oh, like this? You just you just, remind, you just reminded me of my friend who's in New Zealand. Now, wait. Again, somebody who loves this shit. Hold on. Let's see if they are busy right now. <coughs> And then we wait. His name <laughs> is green. So he's online, question mark. Typing. Sure. Okay. gonna copy paste the Google Meets that you linked. Sounds good. What's their Twitter handle? Uh I don't know. <coughs> I, don't know. I sent them the, the uh the thing so they might be clicking in in a second. 
at Nimbin's. But I was like, I, I want like the confirmation of Oh, him. hey. I know him. Yeah. I just want the confirmation of them actually being in the thing before you put another tweet out. No, no, no. I was, I was going to add their, their username over here. I just had a total Thor moment, though. He's a friend from war. He's a friend from war. He's on a stream that I help produce. Oh.
Hey folks, welcome to another, uh, what just happened? Okay. Uh, welcome to another episode of Indie RPG Hour. Um, uh, <coughs> Sin uh, misunderstood something, so uh, we found a ringer, and I'm so happy that it was Ninbin's willing to uh, get on with us. Um... Tonight, we're going to be talking about romantic RPGs versus romance in RPGs, um, how they can both play out for queer games, uh, superhero queer games, and if we have time, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, which uh, was already a hot-button like pre-show. So, um, yeah, I'll let everybody introduce themselves. I am RPG Hour, they, them pronouns. Hi. Uh I'm a buns. I go by they, her pronouns. Um, I am Cozy Bins. You can refer <laughs> to me as Cozy or Bins, but normally my pronouns are he, him. Yay. I told you all of this was right up your alley on uh, like <laughs> romancing games and, and, and that I, I thought you would very much so enjoy. I've had these type of conversations with you before, so I kind of can't wait to see what like an in-depth conversation is because I always have to go to sleep when we're having <laughs> our conversation cozy bins. So I'm actually super excited to see how deep we get into this. So I'm going to do a quick definition of romantic RPGs and romance and RPGs um, and, and kind of touch on that before we get started. Uh, a romantic RPG is not in and of itself about romance. A romantic RPG is about romanticizing ideologies and tropes and like making them more, uh, I, I have a tendency to use the word fluff them out or flowery. Um, you know, a, a, a knight is a knight in, in a game like this isn't just going to, you know, they're going to ride a horse. They're going to have something to do about saving damsels in distress and fighting dragons. It, it takes the classic story element of what is this thing and kind of pushes that to the forefront or emphasizes it um, in some way, shape or form. Um, or... Uh, it's more about the setting. It's it's more about romanticizing the idea of what a fantasy setting can be and romanticizes the world. Um, basically, instead of having where everything is just a constant war and constantly everybody's fighting everybody, it's about more about interacting with the world and the environment. Um, the best example of this is Blue Rose RPG, which currently has a Kickstarter for a 5e version. Um, if you're not familiar with it, back in the day they did a True 20 version, uh, and then they did an Age version, um, and now they're coming out with a different one. Um, you should definitely go check that out, because that's probably the best introduction to what a romantic RPG is. Um, and then technically, any game that you play can have romance in it, if people at the table are consenting to romance at the table. Okay, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you said a good example. Uh, I found, I think I found thinking of that it was only going to be a good example for romanticized or like romance RPGs. It kind of became the middle of the Venn diagram for me of Firebrands because it is very much so a romantic game that it like romanticizes those old school mech animes, but it's also a game specifically for you to only for you to focus on those romance that they always subplot in mech animes. So it's like, this Venn diagram is a circle. <laughs> so far, I can only think of it for that game specifically. 
Oh, I can't hear you. Sorry. Uh, there you go. That's uh, Mobile Brand Zero by Vincent Baker, who created um, Apocalypse World, right? Is that what the Friar Brands were talking about? I think so. We were talking about it last time, too, and I think I called it the wrong name last time, too. A Firebrand Zero. Yeah, I think it is the Firebrand Zero, that one. Okay. I keep saying Firebrand. I just want to make sure that I was looking. Yeah, no, something like that. Like, it, it definitely is. Like, when you pick it up, it is very much about, like, um tickling that that piece in your brain that's going to be nostalgic about like old fashioned um mech animes for sure um and it's it's more about the team uh from the way from when i read it, it it's more about you know your team and the interactions with it. i mean granted you can use any game to kind of be anything but the way that it's written more to me feels that way i could be wrong no it it play, i played it um a few times it definitely plays out that way i really enjoyed it when i um when i played it because those like the main part of it is you going through these interactions with people so that you can try to do like that bit of intrigue and everything it uh definitely suddenly and very quickly became all about giant robot fights <laughs> which when you get to gundam animes in themselves is just really romanticizing war efforts so it was a good game on top of a game that already had undertones in it because the whole time you were trying to do that political get things that you need for your faction kind of deal and, and referencing the the session you played with j-rock yes um you they like the whole the only reason there was a big you know mech anime battle was because of the romance <laughs> you are absolutely right so two of the other players <clears throat> were having words with each other about a shared paramour, and those words turned to hands. <laughs> those hands turned into bigger robot-sized hands. Exactly. Meanwhile, the paramour was were, <laughs> was clearly <laughs> not in love with either. <laughs> and and that whole experience was. Um, I think, uh, that whole experience was about the biggest, um, how do I say it? The biggest yeah. issue you'll run into when you talk about romance, uh, TTRPGs and romance in TTRPGs, which is consent. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the fact that that game is a, you know, is meant to be a shared narrative game. Um, sort of doubles in on that everyone there has to be comfortable with what's happening. Yeah, it is ingrained in the rules and how you do the moves. Uh, uh, it's like with the per with the other player's consent, like like can I do it? just the act of doing something is can I touch your arm? Yes, you can. And if they don't say yes, you can. You can't do that move. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's a really good like bar to set for the topic of i guess like i said it's like a, it's like the middle of the venn diagram that can be the bar to set for either of the games because when you're romanticizing something like like the big fights and everything else that the reason that everybody was fighting in the first place was because supplies were being kept from a village it was very much so the ttrpg of we're going to protect our people from the big bad guys that were coming in and taking all of our things uh the adventure of protecting something and then 
but the story was driven forward, like Nez was saying, specifically because of the romance that was happening behind the scenes. What other games are, not, not the Venn diagram, not the middle, but what would be a game that you would say is more so just a romantic game and not, like you said, any game can have romance in it, but what's something that's stereotypically just I think like, I think games like uh, Monster Hearts, there's nothing romanticized about them, but they are geared more towards romantic encounters or mm -hmm. uh, n not even just um, romantic encounters, even just between friends. It, it, it It's more about the consent in that, which I think that that's a big thing. Like, even if we're not just talking about romance between two people wanting to be together, the romance, like, the relationship that you can have um, between two friends, between two other people, that consent level, I think something like that being built into a game is very much about also being able to facilitate romance in a game. Um, and I think that people are a bit more comfortable getting into romantic situations in a game when you have that built in, even if it's not meant specifically or directly in about being romantic with one another. Mm -hmm. Like Monster Hearts, I wouldn't say is 100% about being romantic with one another, but there definitely is that because of how it's written, how you kind of play things out. It, it, it facilitates the, mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, it facilitates that uh, absolute like ability to do so um, just because of the way that it builds consent. So. Yep. And yeah, because of the way that game is designed, Romance can happen as a matter of course, at, you know, through the way that the game facilitates storytelling. Um, you know, part of it is the, is the consent. Um, but the other part is also the setting. Yeah. A lot, a lot of things, especially the way it's always trying to set. Like it gives you the setup. Think of it like a CW show. That's always how the game has been explained to me. Mm -hmm. Play out your sessions like you're in a CW TV show with all the dark and gritty drama, but everybody going around and you don't know who's with who. It's supposed to be that melodrama game. So that's always been the best part of Monster Hearts for me. It was less about romantic relationships in the game and more. I guess that's why I like playing the worm. Oh, that I like playing that because I, I'm like, well, I just know what this relationship can get me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of an a hole when I play monster. <laughs> so, um, I, and I think that's that's what makes Monster Hearts particularly a romance game, in that it doesn't focus on romance, um, as in intercharacter relationships, um, that lead to other forms of intimacy. But it really uh, exaggerates um, that sort of uh, environment and the stories that happen in that environment. Um, you know, in that, it's basically Monster Prom. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Monster Prom, and that's a romance game. Dating Sims, again, are a toss-up. In my opinion, I saw something on um, on the Bird app that was like, "It's not a dating sim; it's a rejection sim." 
And I was like, so would this be? Or did you see it too? I didn't, you know, I but that, that makes person, so much sense. But would that be a romantic game? Just right romanticizing now. rejection? I, I, I will say that the few times that I've gotten to play it, I play it with my partner. Um, and yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> She does not always um, uh, make it through with her romantic inclinations in that game. Um, uh, like, like think, she uh, she doesn't get to go to prom. No, no, and she uh, she she tries. Um, we've only got to play twice, uh, but like I, I I researched for my second time. I was like, look, I want to I want to <laughs> get through this. Like I'm going to prom with her, um, but. Okay, but you're not you're you're not a mic right now, so um, <laughs> there is there is <laughs> um, but uh no no uh but I mean like it, it very much was a situation in which um that's a side discussion. Oh yeah, no, um. Uh, but, uh, no, 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 uh, no, no, she wanted to romance, uh, what is he, the Space Prince or whatever that one was, um, and... Ah, yes, and, and, the Intergalactic Space Prince. And, and, yeah, he just wasn't coming up in a lot of things, so, um... Oh, we have something from the crowd. I wonder how much it matters if a romantic TTRPG romanticizes the inherent good nature of the hero's player characters. Um... I'm going to say if we're talking about a romantic RPG and the idea of like Blue Rose where the setting itself is romanticized and where things are, you know, kind of, you know, built towards that. Yes, that that is a very important part of it. If we're looking at something where the characters themselves are uh, where the game facilitates romance between the players, I don't think that that is necessarily um I don't think that that's going to be the case. Um, I think that Monster Prom is kind of, or not Monster Prom, but uh, Monster Hearts is one of those um, because uh, you've got kind of like where people are literally playing monsters and you have people that are still going to go the dark route with their characters. Not exactly a good thing. Um, oh, genre rather than character interactions. Um, I'm going to say I think very much um, it depends on what they're romanticizing. Um, if you get a setting, um, for fantasy, it's Blue Rose is definitely one of those. Dragonlance is almost there as well. Um, I would say that, like, the, the system that has been behind it has not always facilitated the world in the books. But, like, certain settings, when you read them, if you were somebody that read a lot of Dragonlance and then came and played at a table with it, um, your experience is going to be different than somebody who just reads the books that are um, the setting books and stuff. Um, and, and I think that um, overall, if everything aligns itself, if the system is built around the romanticization setting, then yes, um, the inherent good nature of the heroes and player characters is going to be at the forefront of it. I think that when the system, when the setting is reworked to fit a, a, a system that is not going to be the case at least that's my personal um what i have found I mean, with certain things the, I, I caught the tail end 
of some of some of that were you specifically uh sorry uh talking about how um if a romantic ttrpg were it's um like the genre the setting like blue rose um does it romanticize the inherent good nature of the heroes and players and i was saying if you if you were to write a really good setting and then build a system to facilitate it like what blue rose did um they they took true 20 and they modified it when they did the original Mm -hmm. version and then for age it is a diff it's a variation on age um i haven't seen the 5e stuff i hope that they really do that uh but i was comparing it to dragon lance which is also a very romanticized um setting and when you pick up the dragon lance setting books they didn't mold D D to it they molded it to D D, and so i don't feel that you get that same level of um inherent good nature of the heroes and player characters because you're creating a D character to then play in dragon lance yes and i that's what i was saying like i it, it the system and the setting have to be molded together as somebody who's read Dragonlance books, when I sat down and played the game, it was a different experience playing with people who have also read books than mm-hmm. it was playing with people who were D&D people coming into a new setting. It's kind of like when you... It's the difference in my... So from what you were saying, like the piggyback off of that, it's the difference between playing a module and your main experience of D&D being someone's homebrew world, which they have sat and modified and molded, and then you just have... And then you can do your 5e rules in that homebrew world versus playing through the module going through the different uh places you're supposed to reading everything it's it's different so when you um so would it be that people's homebrew worlds aren't they ultimately romanticizing 5e or whatever level that they're playing in the first place uh not necessarily i i would say um if you built a if you build a homebrew game it's going to be about what your goal is if you want grim dark you're going to have grim dark um, mm-hmm. Oh, and I, I meant to say this. Romanticized RPGs are a subgenre, not a genre in and of themselves. Because you could have a romanticized Grim Dark, yep. which Ravenloft mm-hmm. almost hits that, um, versus, um, yeah. you know, you, you pick up Warhammer. Warhammer is not really a romanticized, um, at least when I've read Warhammer RPG, I've never really gotten that feeling where it's, it, it really is about this grim dark world and you're just a peon in it trying to fight and hold on um mm-hmm. versus ravenloft has that that give and take in it um but it still has the disadvantage of it wasn't it was molded to the system rather than the other way around um and i think i think at the end of the day for me um if a homebrew system comes in and they say here's our house rules because we wanted to make xyz work or mm-hmm. XYZ didn't exist, then that's when you're going to see a more romanticized homebrew game. Because um, the setting can be romanticized, um, but in and of itself, if, if there are not things to facilitate that, you're not going to get that same feel. Yeah, that's the biggest... Like, that's bleh. I was trying to say, I think that's the biggest difference. That's, that's what I was trying to get to with to answer the question that um, originally was asked on whether or not it was a hindrance to the original thoughts of the players and everything. But if what you're saying is right, then it doesn't, does it? it? I would say no. I would say no that it doesn't because even though it's not originally what was supposed to be done, it's not really messing up with anybody else's put into it. 
Um, I, I I don't know. I would I would say that uh, romantic RPGs romanticize the inherent nature, good nature of the heroes and players for the most part. Um, but only because uh, a lot of romanticized RPGs, uh, and there's just not a whole lot out there. Part of that's part of the problem. Also, there's just not a whole lot out there that directly tackled this. Um, that they push for um, a specific style of character, and those characters are not adventurers. They're explorers. They're knowledge seekers. They're... Um, I, I think another one that would be a good example is uh, Ryutama, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I love Ryutama. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, I love this game, obviously, as you can see. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think that's another example of it is that when you pick that up, you're not playing, you know, the grizzled war hero going back no, into it. You're, no, you're absolutely right. And so that's why I say yes. But I will say the caveat is we don't have a whole lot of romanticized RPGs. Um, <laughs> this is like, yeah. <laughs> Was uh, <laughs> um, sorry to uh, interrupt no. you. Um, so in that, you know, in answering, do do TTRPGs, uh, do romantic TTRPGs uh, directly influence uh, players? Rude. Um, influence players. To, you know, to to play the to play out the good in their characters, um, and I suppose um, mechanically they might uh, engender you to do that because you you know it's all it's about um, consequence, and maybe part of that consequence is a reward for playing out that particular um, storyline facet of your character. And then the other part, right, is also narrative. Um, you know, is is does this game come um, part and parcel with its own narrative? Um, and if that's the case, then yes, entirely. The game does, you know, want uh, specifically want you to play out the good in in your character um, because. The storytelling is will be written in such a way that um, being a good character in this environment would be interesting, or um, you know, a, as a part of a, a table, a group. Um, I love that. That that's just an a, you know that's just a group noun for. TTRPG players, right. just a table. Yeah, a, a group of um, TTRPG players is called a table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> called a table. Um, uh, you know, you you want um, the game will convince you as a group uh, for you know whether it be for glory or. For the fulfillment of your personal vendetta against your um, uh, against your longtime rival Chauncey, 
um, who who is a near duel, it will um, it will bring about the con the conclusion that you have bested cha Chauncey. You know, maybe not in combat, but maybe in morality. Hmm. I have the moral high ground, Chauncey. Don't try me. Well, can we bridge this into into how that's different for queer games? Because I feel like it's different when you're playing something that is more open to you digging deeper into a specific facet of a character. Because mm -hmm. like if you're playing a game and it's specifically about villains, the main thing out of your character building is going to be whether or not you're going to what's your reason for turning to villain? It's kind of like everything they're doing with all of the Disney villains right now. Honestly, I can't wait for them to do Ursula just so that they can finally make up something about her being Triton's sister and vying for the throne due through iridescent means. I, I want her to be like the good person that Triton is really the best. That's what they keep doing <laughs> for for all of the Disney villains. So when you, when you get into games that are more queer subjective, they become a very specific targeted thing like niche about what it's what it's about it's like you can't you, I, there's not a lot of games where being queer isn't a stat i guess to say and it's just something that is inherent about your character it shouldn't mean anything but what if there was a is there's not a game where that is specifically what you're doing is to look into that to have the adventure through that is there I think that actually kind of segues into the next uh, topic, and that's uh, superhero games uh, being queer games or superhero queer games. Because I think I, mean, I think a lot of the times, I mean, the first non-binary character I played was years before I realized I was non-binary, and it was a superhero game. Because in superhero games, it's all about creating a persona. That I'm just saying, it's not like that's not exactly what the X-Men was. Is You just follow him what the x-men was everyone can fight me for that but you didn't understand minorities until they gave them superpowers no matter what they were supposed to be throughout any of the things it was the until they gave them superpowers you did not agree you didn't understand there was no opinion there wasn't this whole thing and now it's an analogy for martin luther king versus malcolm x and magneto was supposed to be they were minorities as a general and nobody cared about it until they gave them superpowers it's like no one cares about Superman till he did until there's some type of problem for you to relate to. <laughs> you do not. Nobody cared about Superman, Superman until he died. <laughs> comic books, I guess, have always been in, I, what I'm trying to say is comic books in themselves have always been an analogy for things that need to be talked about that are never talked about in society. They have always yeah. been. They were originally, let's be honest, they were originally propaganda. <laughs> they were 25 yeah, Superman propaganda. was propagandist. <laughs> but, Superman, but, but was the, uh, Superman was written in <laughs> his earliest career um, to sort of green light whatever war effort people were mm -hmm. that, you know, the government was pushing at the time. Yep. Wait. <laughs> I, I Your will, comics I have history. Comic books, yeah. It's funny that a current show that is on, the comic book version of it actually touches on that idea. The Boys, the graphic novel version, the original mm -hmm. version of The Boys, which is 
like, like they're tied for me in their content. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> um, but there, there's one point at where they're like, like they just start talking. I haven't seen the most recent season, so everything I'm talking about is is post third season of The Boys. So I hope this isn't a spoiler for people. But when they talk about the writer, which is like the old guy that draws the comics that they base on the superheroes that exist, he says it. He's like, all this stuff. It was just old propaganda at first. When we needed to get rid of them, we would just make up some monster for all of them to go fight and then send them away for a few weeks. Like, <laughs> it was one of the best things. And it ha it's how they introduced something they did not put in the show, but it's in the comic. They, they represent it in the show in a club scene where all the heroes are just in this club, but it's an island of just superheroes having the best time. I don't know if you're thirsty or if you're shade drinking, okay? <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's always been with superhero medium has been representation of stuff. That's why people were so, bees were in everyone's bonnet when they did that thing with Captain America maybe being Hydra. I had like 5,000 wasps in mind about it. I'll be honest, okay? <laughs> I um, I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the I enjoyed it because the thing is is that it really showed um something that comics had alluded to but not directly talked about um and it kind of talked mm. showed about how I mean people forget that we basically after World War II adopted Nazis into our space program adopted them into you know mm -hmm. like we we literally brought them in Russia brought in some as well other th there are people that brought them in and I think that that was a really great way to show, hey, you can have this hero that looks great, and you have this hero that looks like everything that you want, but there's this deep, dark secret, and now it's out. And it, it kind of shows, like, I think it was a great analogy for America in and of itself, and I think that part of the reason that some people were really upset is because they don't want to admit it. I Well, I mean, no, I was upset. <laughs> Personally, I was upset very specifically because I feel like they could have done that with another character. They could have done that kind of like how they alluded to it more in the movies by having Bucky be that character. And they still did it when they did Winter Soldier. But how are you going to take, but, I mean, whatever, I'll just say it. How are you going to take a character that was created by two little Jewish boys and make him a Nazi organization person? That's what I was upset about. You could have done that with another character. You could have had somebody pretending to be Captain America. But no, they straight up was like, it's Steve Rogers a Nazi. What? That's what I was upset about. Everything else, you were perfectly valid on. It does make sense. <laughs> and it is a good analogy on that part of it. But the level of disrespect that you first had to put, like, dig yourself into to go, all right, now I'm comfortable with this. I wasn't doing it. <laughs> I, I think it was because I was at the most angry about things. And um, it was one of my more, um, let's just topple everything and start over. Let's just, you know, <laughs> um, just remember, I, I kids. Was, uh, military bases, they don't, they, you don't need keys to start those vehicles. Just hop in and press a button. Um, th Look, there's literally no things. Wants to, <laughs> no one wants to talk about how in, in the cinematic universe, Bucky was, uh, a Soviet spy. Mm, that too. Yeah. But th that's what I mean. It's another character, the same kind of d thing. They, they could have just central to the, in the comics, they already had him there. It already made sense. 
You didn't have to full praise mm -hmm. spread Captain America, full Rob Leefield pose going hail Hydra. You didn't need to do that. <laughs> I liked how they did it in the movies. I do not like how they did it in the comic books. It felt like a slap in the face. But the way that they handled it in the movies, I will give them that. I have officially come to the Zen age that I understand that the cinematic universe and the comic book universe are two separate things and will probably never be what I want it to be. So I also don't feel like anybody's trying. <laughs> I mean, well, there's I, a lot to we're, do. We're, we're, we're tangent. We're on a tangent, but that's down to writing. <laughs> but bringing it back around and to um, I'm so sorry. superhero, no, no, it's all right. Um, I mean, I, I think it's also a thing like people can get attached to their characters in any kind of setting, but mm -hmm. I feel like when you when you have people create superhero characters, they create an idealized version of themselves or what they really love at the table. Mm -hmm. And I think that superhero games are more facilitating for queer folks to test the waters with something that they want about themselves, how they see about themselves. Um, you'll find, I, I find a lot of people that are very shy, they'll pick characters that are and just, ah. yeah, they're, they're just out there, you know, they're damage dealers or they're damage takers or mm -hmm. they create something where they they realize they're comfortable in that part of themselves and their their powers like invisibility or you know something very standoffish back there but i mean y you get these people who you know they're going to go in and they're going to define a lot of things about their characters uh, there's not a whole lot of superhero games that do it but some of them do have spots for sexuality and gender like mm -hmm. that's built into the game mm -hmm. That doesn't happen as often with fantasy. That doesn't happen as often with other things. But you pick up a superhero game, and there's a lot of superhero games out there that it immediately asks for, yeah. you know, your sex and gender. Like it, it wants because it, it's like they know the people who make the games. They 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 have to know that the what's going into this is that you're creating an OC, and they know that. <laughs> so well, yeah, this is and to do you know, sort of. Uh, hop on that Venn diagram bullshit. <laughs> Superhero games romanticize being a hero. Mm -hmm. Unless, like, specifically geared toward the darker side. And comics from the, the 70s and 80s have made it okay for superheroes to be camp. Mm -hmm. Because too many form-fitting types we've all seen um, Apollo and snaps to Dazzler, but <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, because of, because of that background history on superheroes, it makes it more okay to be that idealized version of yourself in the game to, you know, to the, to the umpteenth degree, because you're being extra and you know it. Um, it makes it okay to do that because you've seen it before. Everybody's seen it before. It's not um, new for you know that superhero narrative for someone to jump out of a to jump through a window and, and do their uh, their crotch forward pose 
<laughs> and announce their arrival. And if that isn't if that isn't one of the queerest things, I you know, <laughs> that is the equivalent of like just opening the door and going, "We need to talk." It is the equivalent. Exactly. <laughs> Spider Man is sass incarnate. Um, he is. Then you have people, and I, I, I'm sorry to do this to one of the quote unquote most macho characters that probably is supposed to exist, but Sabretooth is a fucking queen. I his oh, his yeah. outfit yeah. was huge fur and his his nails was always on point. He had a comeback for everything. Like before there was Deadpool, there was Sabretooth calling Wolverine a bit. Like he was always there to be in the way and wanted you to know why he was there. Sabretooth was one of the most flamboyant straight guys I ever saw in a comic book. And it didn't stop there, but it, that that is the point out that I, it, comic books have always been a way, like you said, for people to find out things about themselves and feel comfortable in those things because superheroes don't do anything. If they don't do anything, they make you feel like it's okay to be different. Mm-hmm. That is always the main thing with super. The reason you are different is why you are special. And then you have specifically the people who are mad at you because you are different and don't like the way it makes you special. Comic books have been a coping mechanism for me personally since I learned to read. Okay. And and that narrative is native to, um, it is native to superhero games. Mm -hmm. Um, Take, uh, you know, for a very, uh, for a pretty old system, mutants and masterminds. Um, mechanic heavy still gives you the place and the time to be as extra as you damn well please. Which, <laughs> quick side note, we've been talking about Blue Rose. I talked about how the system was called True 20. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, True 20 uh, is also the system behind Mutants and Masterminds. Um, oh. So that's it's uh, there is a deviation from the two. So if you've played Mutants and Masterminds and enjoyed it, uh, the true twenty version of uh, Blue Rose is out there. So if that's a system that you're like, you're looking at the new Five E one that's coming out, and you're like, not a big fan of Five E. There is an Age version. If you're not a fan of Age, True Twenty also exists. If you've been a fan of Mutants and Masterminds, um, it, it it's more. I think it's more akin to like First Edition Mutants and Masterminds because um, they have definitely improved upon Mutants and Masterminds over the editions. Um, but yeah, same thing, sort of ish. It's a metronome. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, it's and I mean, you also I mean, we see this a lot in comic books as well, where characters that like you definitely feel something about them. They just seem a little over the top or extra. And then people are like, oh, yeah, no, they're they're not queer. Don't worry about it. They're not queer. Or, you know, people don't know what they are. And then all of a sudden it's like, and this is my boyfriend. It's very casually introduced, and I feel like because of the way that comic books kind of handle some of that, mm-hmm. that's, that's part of why people want to play it. it. It's not always. I will say it is not always like that. Yeah, that's the, the subtlety of it is recent. I remember full-on New York spread comic when uh, when Homeboy married, and it was like, the first Marvel gay wedding, and everybody was invited except Scott. It was great. <laughs> well, I mean, we have characters like... Um, what was it? Uh, Aqualad, 
Batwoman, of yes, course. The most recent mm -hmm. Aqualad that Kate came for Batwoman. And the Hulkling and the Wiccan are canon yes. uh, boyfriends. And I think, they, I think they're engaged. I think they're while. engaged now. <laughs> they only met because of that. And um, another uh, Super Scroll in Runaways, the I always forget her name. Her superhero name is Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, but she gets a Super Scroll girl for, uh, girlfriend who originally was male presenting. And then he was like, it, but she was like, I like girls. I can't be with you. I know I'm supposed to be betrothed. He's like, oh, changing sex for a scroll is like changing your clothes. I can be this. And later on, canonically was like, I don't want to change back into a, a male. I want to stay like this permanently. I prefer to be, and it turns out that the character was trans and they were together. Yes, and gender fluidity. Yep. It, so it's it's been really good. They, they did a really good job. So the more recent comics have definitely, I won't, older comic book uh, readers will say jumped on board. And I only say that because that's, who showed me comic books? I was having my uncles, my dad's old guys in comic book shops. So the grumbles have been all I've ever heard of like comic book purists, which is like, so that's like a quarter of my comic belief. It's why I'm mad at silly things, I guess. Uh, but I, I, I've played a lot of the, the ones that are geared towards uh, stuff that's out there. I have played um, the old Marvel system, Mm. I have played uh, the um, DC uh, one. I can't remember their names off the top of my head. And then I've also played the one. Um, I'm also a big fan of. Um, um, why is my brain doing this today? Uh, they were they were originally an offshoot of Marvel. Um, uh, Valiant. I've also played the Valiant uh, TTRPG. Um, Valiant's Marvel? Originally, the, the original people who started Valiant left Marvel to start Valiant. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, I, was, I was thinking... Not everybody, not everybody that was there was Marvel, but there was like a chunk of people that were like, we're going to go do our own shit. We don't need superheroes everywhere. We're going to have a few here. But a lot of those characters were very queer-coded from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, and, and that's one thing I've always loved about Valiant, too, but... Um, one of the things that I enjoyed, I, I was at a table for a while um, after the, the New 52 came out, and somebody was playing a Green Lantern, and they modeled it after the that Green Lantern that was there, um, which I pulled his, that was Alan Scott. So he was a Green Lantern that was a Green Lantern because he found a ring, mm -hmm. but not because he was a part of the Green Lantern right. Corps. Which was a very interesting, you know, and he's he's very much a queer coded character. I've only read a little bit of him. I'm told that he flat out like had like, um, I've only read a little bit of it, and it's been excerpts online. I haven't actually picked up an issue, um, but I've been told by people that like he is very much an out gay character, and I thought it was interesting that we have a very. I grew up reading Green Lantern, having a character that wasn't a part of the core was such a weird concept for me. Um, and I was also, I, by the time new 52 rolled out, I was Marvel and Valiant only. I didn't really read DC, but, uh, <laughs> I keep going back and I keep telling myself I'm going to get these, but I thought it was interesting that we have a character here that is very, you know, much full on queer out and is like, yeah, I've got the powers, but I don't have, you know, the obligation to the people who are making ridiculous things. And I think that that's something you also see on the queer side of things uh, mm -hmm. for a lot of these characters. 
Um, Apollo and Midnighter is very much that as well. I mean, you have one that looks like, you know, like Bright Shiny Boy, and then you have the other one that is very much, um, I am going to beat these, uh, you know, villains to a bloody pulp in the sewers. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and so you've got these these two characters that are just complete opposites, and they come together, and honestly, when I first was reading about Apollo and Midnighter, um, uh, I, I very much got, like, the feels where I've had people that have played B Batman as Superman at games before, and, like, the characters become in an entangled romantic relationship, and that's what these two characters are. Apollo is a darker version of Batman, um, and Midnighter is, like, a, a twisted form of Superman. So, I mean, like, it... People like to attach themselves to certain kinds of characters, and um, some of them are already... There's already queer-coded versions out there for some of them, but uh, I think getting to create your own at these tables is definitely what... Definitely what changes for some people. It's, it's the same for both the comic industry and the TTRPG industry when you get to the point that a lot of things coming up now and recently are just retellings or like you said queer coded versions of other older characters and instead of moving forward so that you can have a character like the, like the young justice and them having the hulkling and them having wiccan be together was such a big thing it, it was such a huge thing because it was like oh finally there's a thing out now and i don't have to worry about them going back in time to make the scarlet witch actually be a lesbian or something and not <laughs> do anything is I will preface this with say do not get me wrong I I will shank somebody from Miles Morales but I low key there's, there's like a tiny bit of me that I that I like slap down every like every now and then of just I wish that that good of a character could have been something separate instead of being Spider-Man Spider-Man has a lot of stuff he has a very expansive legacy uh, between Peter Parker Ben Parker and all the other Parkers that are in existence you didn't have Miles Morales which out of all those things, all of them, except I think Miles and Quinn have all been alternate reality versions of Peter. And those two are kind of like very specific where they're their own people that now have the Spider-Man. Um, well, uh, there's like, been a couple all, of others. Is, is, is an alternate version of something Parker, right? Yeah, 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 okay. That's, that's what I mean, where these two are like specifically disconnected from or at least at least I can definitely say Miles is, but I somebody pointed well, out I was like I, they were mad at him for existing because they wished that somebody would have just made a new character instead of making another Spider-Man, and I'm mad that they had to say it that way. But they were they weren't wrong. There aren't new characters coming out. There's a lot of legacy characters that are out right now, and not enough characters that are trying to come out. Mostly because Marvel doesn't know what the hell the to champions. do with it. They don't know what the heck to do with these teen superheroes. I think I said it last time I was on here, other than put them in a bus or blow them up. They don't know what to do with their young superheroes. They're cannon fodder. And then you thought they were going to do something, and then they did Avengers Arena, and they were just like, oh, okay, we just, they just did this. Okay. We just, yep. They, they did this. But the same thing could be, my point was that the same thing could be said for TTRPGs. There's not a lot of games. A lot of games are reimaginings of things or a 5e version of this or a new setting playable for these systems. And nobody wants to look at the newer systems that are out or other systems that exist that are not D and D. Like <laughs> uh, Earth Oh yeah, it was um the, uh, they changed 
her name to Spider Punk? No, no, no. So Spider Punk is actually a whole separate thing, also known as the Anarchic Spider Man. I was I had to look this up because I couldn't remember it. He's an African American punk Hobart. rocker. Uh, yeah, no, um, Hobart Brown. Um, I really, really, I thought I, I was really into that, but I, I grew up around people in the punk scene, so like that yeah, one. Yeah, no, he sounds awesome. I, I saw African American. I thought for a second you were talking about um, Hawkeye's daughter and Old Man Logan, whose <laughs> whose name is just Spider. B I T C H. That's what she goes by. Uh, no, there's there's a couple of other ones. They're just not as popular. And I was hoping that Into the Spider Verse would introduce them. Uh, here is another. There's one. supposed to be a second one, so we don't know. I know, I know, but second one. Um, I think they really just wanted to see how this one would do. But no, for real, for real, it really is. It really is a situation. But I mean, I will say also, I think that that the fun thing is, is that that can the Spider Man verse, in my opinion is players coming around and playing a game together. Mm. And to me, out of everything in the comic book universe, Spider-Man Emil, Spider-Man to me feels more tabletop gamerish than anything else because you have people that are like, "Cool, I got bit by something and I've got some powers or something. Hmm. I'm going to I'm going to wrap this up like myself. I'm going to do it like this way." Like we all go and we kind of grab some things that we like and then put our own rap version on it. Everybody was doing them spider solos for a while. I was just thinking <laughs> about it. Okay. I mean, um, some of my favorite ones are like some of the lesser known ones and not just not because they're lesser known, but because they're more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always the case. Like spider punk. If you guys ever get a chance. Um, I'm definitely wrote. I definitely wrote these down. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think spider punk had like, a couple of issues or was like a side note and something. I don't remember how many issues, but like if you get a chance, go look up spider punk. Just, I, I, I would have loved to have seen, uh, and maybe, maybe we'll get him. Maybe we'll get him. Um, I, would, I wish they would do a poll sometimes on superhero movies and stuff like what characters would you be the most excited to see in our next movie? So they could actually do people. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that they would, cause it would be like, it, they would have to up the rating on it because he's basically, he's got the mouth of uh, Deadpool. <laughs> um, yeah, he was okay. Amazing Spider-Man volume three is where he first appears. Um, I'll try to remember where I saw him, where I read, um, <clears throat> but no, like there's some really cool characters out there that are just absolutely, you know, very much. You're going to sit down and you feel like you can be that character more than anything. And I think, Mm-hmm. I think part of uh, the reason that superhero RPGs are easier for queer folks to grab is because how many of us escaped into comic books? How many of us escaped into anime or manga? How many of us escaped into worlds and realms that are absolutely over the top? And it was like the oddest thing about you was something minuscule in comparison to how you felt as a person in the, in the outside world. And that's what my, anime my and superheroes do. My problem here. It's the fact that I, you know, got six legs, but my personality's fine. <laughs> well, I mean, even on top of that, like um, Spider-Man specifically, because we've talked a lot about Spider-Man, got bit by a spider and now has these things. Those are minuscule pieces of who Spider-Man is, but mm-hmm. they're so forward-focused. Like, you get to express yourself and let that be the center of attention Mm -hmm. without having fear of 
that being something that can be, you know, necessarily taken away from you. I mean, I don't know about you, but that was part of why I felt more comfortable playing queer characters, even in cishet-based tables with a superhero game. Because it didn't matter. Like, it was... it's... (coughs) You know... It's the anonymity. Well, I mean, the main reason that you're different isn't that you're queer. Yes. 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 And... You know, you get to you get to explore being different, and um, you don't have to. What do you? How do I say? It? You don't have to onload all of that onto your, you know, onto your queer identity, which gets that every day. Mm-hmm. You're a superhero. My shoulders are heavy with the weight of my responsibilities to my fellow man. No. Um, and then, and then I, you know, take off the suit. I'm. I just want to cuddle with my hubby. <laughs> At that point, after watching you, the superhero, fight somebody for the last five hours and save people and get that baby to the hospital in time for their new lung, well, I want you to get a cuddle too. I will say for me, I, I don't think that necessarily one form of superhero RPG plays to it uh, more than others being queer friendly. Yeah. Um, yes. I think games like Masks are definitely more easily available in response mm-hmm. to it because there are, uh, there are socialization mechanics. But I feel like because of the way that superhero games are, because of just how a lot of the systems are very... We've got the hero system. We've got um, Silver Age Sentinels, and we've got—I'm um, trying to remember some of the others. But we've got these games where the entire point of it is that you have points, and you just go through the list of stuff, and you build what you want. I think that because there's an openness to the game itself, it allows you to add things in and be about your identity more um, than you know, like. I don't feel like you can get that with a lot of these other games. I don't feel like you can get that with a lot of these other genre type games um, as much as you could with a, a superhero game. I feel that it mm-hmm. it has an openness in a way. Um, I can agree with that. It, I've played a few games, a uh, few different types of systems. I've GM'd and, and played PvPA games and like Mass, like you mentioned. And all the other games that I've, I've played i wouldn't give it the inherent I, and i'm going to use this word sparingly the inherent safety that i would feel in a game like a superhero game when i first was able to play mass or really i would say maybe monster hearts because they put so much on a way for you to go through how you see that dark part of yourself i feel like either you want to if you want to explore your queerness through a di- through a game like that you can go the dark and gritty route with where this thing is about me and i keep it secret and i'm hiding it and if somebody finds out this is what i'll do or you go this is amazing and this is what i am and now we're going to go save the world you have those two options when you have uh if you were to if you were to like pick a game that kind of showcased those options more but superhero games hit the spot 
I want to apologize to everybody. I keep looking off screen or whatever. I keep hearing a dinging noise, and I was wondering if it was in the headphones or in real life. And I just realized that my demon spawn has been unplugging uh, her tablet and plugging it back in. Um, we've got uh, magnet release um, chargers. So it chimes. Yeah, so it chimes. And so I'm like, man, where is this chiming come from? And I just look over, and she's just holding it up and looking at me and smiling. And I was like, okay, okay. I, I am not – sorry. The dinging was like – I wasn't sure if I was still, um, I, I got a little, uh, heat exhaustion earlier, so I wasn't sure if oh, it was no, something yeah. my brain is, um, making up or That's not. Fair. So. <laughs> um, that is fair. uh, I, I missed this question. It got added earlier. Um, Crow asks, uh, if we feel Hi, like D and D actually supports romanticism in its mechanics. Um, no, no. I'm, I'm going to say hands down. No, I'm going to say the two reasons that I'm going to say this. One, there is no social mechanics in D&D, &D, and the ones that we did have in earlier, or in earlier editions are very poorly built and based on racial stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And two, the other reason that I feel that D&D &D does not support romanticism in its mechanics, and both things of it characters are built to build up over time mm -hmm. and in romanticized games you'll notice that characters are pretty effective even at the early levels or you feel that you have a more complete character at the beginning rather than trying to mold i'm a grizzled war hero and at level one how often are you going to hit how much damage are you really going to do I, I i feel like the the expectation of what D and D can build and do versus what people come into it trying to do are two very different things. Yes. And I feel that it does not, it does not allow for romanticism without homebrew hacking, yep. whatever you want to call it. Like without somebody That's going so in and adding true. things and doing things, it's not there. Um, at this point, it would just be all of us giving our reason for saying no, because we all said no. <laughs> we all said to a person, we all said no. Yeah, but I I have very, I mean, to piggyback off everything you said, because you covered a lot. <laughs> you, can't, you can't even get into a real conversation with, with most people about whether or not people of different races can have, if you're half or does that automatically mean you're half human? Can two different races make something? Are your chromosomes uneven? Thank you. Something it, they they won't. You can't even get people to agree on that. I, I don't think it, it's, like, it's wanting you um, to have a life, man. It's it's not wanting you like, to. You don't you don't to have do to anything. ask whether you don't have to ask whether half orcs are mules. This is a fantasy game. You're allowed to have, just have a bench line of others <laughs> free. We can all it's a have a fantasy it. game. Emphasis on fantasy and then another emphasis on game. It's something, it's a thing I'm supposed to have fun with, full of things that don't really exist. I should be able to do whatever the fuck I want. One of the first <laughs> hacks that I ever did was in 3.5, and I made it to where you could be, where um, you actually parted your, um, when you were creating a character, when you got to the, the, the racist part, I hate using that word, but that's what dandy uses when you get to like your kinfolk your ancestry i like that kinfolk 
yeah i use that in my games that i write i use kinfolk or kin um or Mm -hmm. you know i I like to use that um when you get to your kinfolk and i called it kinfolk um when i wrote this originally um the idea was that you decide you know what was your mom and dad or what were your parents that created you i didn't use mom and dad and i don't know why it went immediately to mom and dad but i said you know what 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 are your two parents genetically where do your genetics come from oh you're this parent's an elf and this parent's a dwarf. Okay. But this parent's not just a dwarf. They're also half gnome. Like I made it to where you could create yourself. It's like a whole family tree. Yeah. You can create, you could create a family tree to your, to your grandparents basically. And depending on how far out that person was depended on what you could bring in. Oh, you can bring in a plus one from this, or you could bring in, you know, that's really cool. Um, and it, it was so a very, cool. it was a very complicated thing. But I like I make it. I was like, this is what you guys are gonna use to create and nobody ever used it. Everybody was like, Well, I'm just gonna play a half elf. But when I first played second edition D and D, I got as many of the different settings as I could. And Dark Sun for as all of the horribleness that is in Dark Sun, one of the reasons that I enjoyed it was because of the additional um halves that you had. You had half dwarfs, okay. you had half like there, there was a whole lot of extra things brought in. Now, the way that, that we decided to – not we, but the way that they decided to bring all that stuff in is not kosher, is not cool. Like it is not something that is comfortable in any way, shape, or form. But the way that we were able to sit down and have something once again that wasn't just, hi, I'm a, I'm a half-orc that's half-human, half-orc. Or, hi, I'm a half-elf. Like, why are those the only two halves? Like, why? Why? I had had a character, and I specifically made them half-elf and half-orc. Those those were the two halves that I went with. It was like, these are are my dads. They're both elves. And this is my mom, who's an orc. They all three live together. I'm their kid. Like, my character grew up in a poly household. It was half-orc and (laughs) half-wild-elf. It was the best. And they were a bard, which just hits more stereotypes because they also weren't a hoe. <laughs> Imagine. But <laughs> you are not hoes. I could never. I mean, my mom would have just made them mad. They were a barbarian, but also was part of the science division in the wild. Come on now. I specifically made the character to piss people off. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, back to the point, like, I just don't think that D&D with its mechanics directly mm. supports a, a romanticized idea. Mm. Um, I think that Basically, that's what Ryutama is. That's a romanticized because it, it, when you think of how, why it was made, it was made by a bunch of moms who wanted to play this, this Dungeons and Dragons thing they kept hearing about. Didn't like how attacking or like, like you said, the grizzled warrior from level zero to level 20, they didn't like how that didn't allow you to tell a story, so they created Ryutama to do that thing. So, weirdly enough, Ryutama is a very romanticized version. <laughs> I, I, I will give a hot take right quick. Um, I am a fan of older systems sometimes because some of them were rules light in a way that we're just getting back to in game design. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the older D&D games, there were no skills. You just rolled under your stat. And that determined if you did things or not. And I think that the baseline for how that worked in old D&D 
where if you want to do something, you roll under it, you try and describe what you're going to do, you see how that plays out, you get bon uh, bonuses from that. I think that that was more facilitating to the potential of romanticization that modern D&D, because of the way that it does certain things, doesn't offer. I, I will agree on that. It's Like you said, it's just now really... It, you can see it trying to go back to that, where it's like, we only have to roll these certain things, but there are going to be the arguments about, well, what did those stats go under, which will just start the cycle all over again. That's why they got well, now you don't have to argue about what stats to roll these things for. We gave you a list, and then that got more complicated, mostly because people want to try to finagle their way to success when they fail, and so rules have to be made so that those people can't just make things up on the spot to get what they want. It's like, the equivalent of why you see this, this, like the stupidest warnings on labels, like why would you eat this? Why would you try to put this thing inside of a, what does this say? Do not put in a Lamborghini on a Thursday. I don't know what happened, but now it's a warning on a label. It's like those are the different role, like levels of of uh, of D and D three point five and then four, and then five. <laughs> um. To sort of explain, oh, rather, I have an anecdote, and it's one of, it's one of um, Sinziak's favorite anecdotes <laughs> about the game that Here I Here in spirit. So, some, some minor shade, but that's okay. Um, I ran a superpower game. I say, I say super, superpower because... I hadn't developed the game to the um, the world to the point where there were superheroes. So I had a superpower game um, using the 5e system. I actually threw most of it away. Hmm. I was like, hey guys, um, trust me a little. And let me give you mechanics when I want to. You know, you learn when you have, you learn what powers you have um, at a point where your character comes into contact with the thing that gives them powers. Um, and, and I was like, you can throw away your class, you can throw away everything else. The only things that matter right now are you as characters. Um, and that sort of let the story progress to the point where where uh, Sin's character met a nice young, um, a nice young police officer, uh, a nice young police officer, who was actually just incredibly misguided. Um, and they had they they managed to eke out a romance in between all of the um, nefarious villainous things I was throwing at them. Nefarious and villainous. How dare! But it's um, also really sweet. I look. I I want a what is that? Killing Eve style, like cat and mouse game. I, I just I just I know there is one. There there's there's a Kickstarter for something like that that is like set to that type of stuff. And a lot of that was did not. I did not have to use the system at all. I asked both of those people. Hey, one of you. Uh, thinks it would be fun to have a romance. 
would the other person agree? And the other person said, yes, I, I, I agree. I would like to have this very queer romance. Um, Sounds adorable. And we were like, great. We're going to play this out slow. Um, and then a couple of sessions later, I was like, you know, things are moving a little too slow. Let's liven it up a bit if that's okay with the both of you. Um, they were like, okay. It was like, great, you're going to go, um, you're going to go to the club tonight. So prepare your characters for that. Sin's character was like, all right, <laughs> all of you are getting makeovers. Ha. Prepare the runway. Um, and after that fun, you know, after that fun time, they arrive at the club. They, they do their sleuthing things first, and then finally they manage to get to dance. Um, and just as they made their first dance steps, I was like, ha-ha, villain! <laughs> um, and I did, I did most of that without 5e. Because one, 5e doesn't have rules to do all of that. And two, um, it's what my players it's what my players wanted and as a dm i have some responsibility to see to it that they find the you know the catharsis that they're looking for um and five you know how, how are these two people going to romance each other persuasion see yeah <sighs> persuasion and insight a little <laughs> A little bit of charisma there too, homie. <laughs> I've I've always been a big fan of I, I, I was I mean I was talking to you about it earlier. I'm always a big fan of narrative storytelling, narrative GMing. Uh, when your players want to do something, I want to do this thing. Oh, that would be a this role. Roll. Eh. Okay. And now we move forward with with the narrative. But I, my one and only is for my own one and only instance with 3.5 is I had to roll to open a cabinet and I failed so much that I just started hacking away with a with an axe and I had to roll to swing and then I missed. So I didn't roll to attack. I rolled to see if I could swing and in my anger actually hit the hit the door because I had failed to open five times in a row because of my rolls. So I, I I'm very happy with things that are not so story based not story based i mean not so mechanic based so i think that definitely kind of covers that um and to hop on the um <clears throat> last thing that we were going to talk about um is uh powered by the apocalypse games yeah, we uh, touched on that a little bit. I, I, I've heard from a lot of people that they feel that these games are just queer coding of themselves, that they are, you know, right then and there. And um, I honestly kind of disagree. I could say that some of the games might facilitate it, but I don't feel that in and of themselves um, that they're just right then and they're queer coded mm, they're not queer coded until you as the player code them that way they're, they're supposed to be like westworld level blank slates 
And so you give them the story that you give them. If they give you the Lego land uh, mat and then they provide you the Legos and then you build your own city. And to look at it in any other way is a smidgen naive, especially if you've played games a lot. There's a difference between someone who's never played a game coming into a PBTA game and wanting it to run that way. Uh, just thinking immediately because a lot of their friends who are queer have played this game. And so they, they think, well, it has to be very queer safe. It's not that way until you code it that way. And so you put that into the game. Otherwise, it's just a blank slate game. And that's what I like about PBTA games. They're blank slate games. Do I wish they would be a little bit more connective to creativity for both the GM and the players? Yes. But I love the games and the fact that they facilitate the option to do such niche things. Well, and if you actually go to the Powered by the Apocalypse website and pull up, ro- click on the Romance tab, there's only mm-hmm. five games listed. Dream Askew, Fire Brands, mm-hmm. Midsummer Wood, Monster Hearts, and Spin the Beetle. I mean, like, even in the whole grand scheme of things where people are like, this is what they are, this is where they're from, it's like, no, and I think also part of it is because PBTA is a great pickup game. It's very easy to grab and run, but in order to make it so, there is some limiting that they do at the start of it. And while it's minor, and technically you can write right past it, if you have somebody that's never played, they're going to look at the options on the character, uh, the playbook and circle something because there's not a write-in box. There's going to be people that are going to pigeonhole themselves because it's not there. And I think that's part of the problem that I have with some of the PBTA stuff. Don't get me wrong. I love it. And I, I love playing this stuff, but it's very difficult to sometimes to be, you know, Hey, let's go play XYZ game. Let's go do this because they had a bad experience because there's somebody that looked at it and said, when do I get to create my character? When do I get to create what I'm looking to do? Mm-hmm. And you don't have as much option with PBTA. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's great for uh, streaming and podcasting and um, one shots oh. and quick pick up and play. But you lost games. I was still on. Yeah, no, no, no. We are. I was. Oh, there they go. Awesome. Are you right? I did. I did the age-old cozy bins thing to do, and I pressed the wrong button. Oh, darling. <laughs> I was like, well, good night, everybody. <laughs> this is great. I'm a buns. I guess I said something that he didn't like, that they didn't like. I did it the first session of... Um, of uh, um, beacons. beacons of Calistrae. Mm. Juicy chat. Oh. Yeah, coding is something ascribed to a thing by its audience. There might be intent there from the author, but meaning is a negotiation. Absolutely. I just think I think sometimes people will jump in on things sometimes and be like, yes, we're all just straight into it. This is definitely a queer-coded game and like, I don't know. I've picked up some of these games and I'm like, I feel like the group that you played in was very queer focused because like there's no inherent thing. There's no inherent thing. Yeah. Like, um, 
I mean, that's what I was asking in the beginning, though. Is is there, is there really a game where you, that is something that is seen as like an inherent part of the game in general? And and not to say that you want the game to just be queer, because it, it it's not like you want that to be the only the game's only selling point. But there are things like okay, so you know the Kickstarter that was going around for uh, Monsters of Merca. They just had the chromatic gamut thing which is a romanticized queer coded art thing for an rpg for D playable in the 5e settings a romanticized version of new york but it's super gay that's the point of the book but people making that type of content is really the only way that you're finding this type of content right now <coughs> that's I why mean, people make their own playbooks for you know mask and for like I, I wrote this playbook and it's something we can do like homebrew stuff you can even do it for PPTA has a lot of homebrew stuff like I said before there's a lot of things that are um, uh, last stream um, mm. I've said that there's a lot of things that are are written out or there's NPCs or there's things that are that people want to, to push that direction but at the end of the day the base system the base stuff that's there is still very much you're building on something that wasn't inherently made for that. And it doesn't always feel mm -hmm. like that's where it's meant to be. Unlike thirsty sword lesbians, for instance, mm -hmm. like, you know, I mean, I haven't gotten to play it yet, but I mean, just reading through it. I am. And, and watching a couple streams with it. I'm very much ready for this. <laughs> like, Well, I mean, I said, I said, I said my two p, my my fifty cents. I gave my fifty cents on, on it, but I'm just, I'm just fact checking myself. Okay. <laughs> before I, before I add some nonsense. Did you see what I posted in the uh, Google Meets? Oh, oh, oh. No, because my chat cleared. I didn't even catch what time it was. Um, I guess let's do some final thoughts and... What did you fact check yourself on? In the... Oh, yeah, yeah, Um, I was, uh, I was looking uh, for the details of a game. Okay. Um... And whether it was uh, queer coded at all, and I still don't know. <laughs> what game is it? No, it's a queer coded game. You're still not sure if it's actually. <laughs> um, I was I was looking for um, Van Wizards, Wizard Van. Van. Oh yeah, that sounds very um... familiar. I don't. I don't know if it is or isn't either. 
Van Wizards versus the Mageocracy. <laughs> Is it odd to say that it's very, it, it, both of those things sound amazing, by the way? Um, and actually, I'm, I guess I'm going to save my, my what I was going to say for like my final thoughts on it. <laughs> I'm actually going to save what I was going to say for that. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually gotten to pick up a copy of this yet, so. Somebody was just bringing this up. Things to do. Right? But it's also powered by fate, and I have I have my gripes about fate, just like I have about other systems, so. There's that, no perfect system. No, there's not. No, there's not. There's definitely not. But they're um, definitely annoying as hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will say this is my final thought. If you are sitting down and looking at a system and trying to fit your story around the system rather than finding a system that fits your story, mm -hmm. you're going to have issues at the table trying to tell the story that you want to tell. Um, I've seen it happen a lot. There's a lot of systems out there. I get that some people are really into things, but like... When I shifted people from D&D &D to True 20, it's a simplified version of 3.5. Um, it opens up a lot of options. I saw a difference in the players and the way that they play and the play styles happening at the table just because of a simple switch, and it wasn't that far off. Not all changes are going to be so simple, but I think that there is definitely... If you find a system that works for the story you want to tell rather than trying to fit your story the system that you have there's gonna be a chance that everybody at the table is going to enjoy it more i agree with that honey buns final thoughts uh final thoughts uh i feel like sadly as of right now it, it would be a lot easier to find queer coding in the video game industry than you could ever find it in the ttrpg community or industry not for lack of trying like you said there's thirsty sword lesbians there's um really honestly you could make like a passion de la passiones games very queer coded but <laughs> mass monster hearts all that they they exist but we can name them on both of our hands it's not that you want there to be an overwhelming thing but when you stop thinking so much about why something isn't there and focus more on what you can insert into the game to create a bigger story not a better one but a bigger story, that's the only way we're going to start with RPGs actually allowing that big of a difference. When you can get over how you're playing the game, then you can talk about what's in the game. Those two are direct correlation for me. Um, for me, I think my final thoughts are, um, for you know, as, as it goes for many marginalized communities, it's always incumbent upon us to um, provide each other with solid, positive examples of ourselves. Um, and that is doubly important for the TTRPG scene, on you know and that's that's just on the history of it and where its spotlight has been and has not been 
And we talked about half orcs today. <laughs> and how they exist. And I was like, let me not get started. This is about romanticism um, and romance and TTRPGs. We'll talk about uh, that next time. <laughs> and as always, look for consent before you do some of this stuff. Look, look for consent in session zero. Yeah. That's, that's, session zero doesn't mind. have those types of questions. What type of game are you running? So if everybody will, uh, if y'all will do like uh, quick outros, let people know where to find you, let people know what you're working on. That's awesome. Uh, I'll go first. That kind of got cool. It's me, a buns, and I am on Twitter as Honey Buns and on Twitch at Battle Scar Bunny. Don't really have to pay attention to that one yet. There's nothing on my channel at, 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 at like as of right now, but there are some fun things coming up. And if you would like to find me to talk to me or listen to me rant more about superheroes, mostly because I'll be running a mass game, you can always sign up for them on the Magpie channel. Uh, hopefully, I'll see some of you guys that are out there in my game. Um, hi, hello. I have been your resident Cozy Bins. You can find me at Ninbins on Twitter. You can also find me um, bi-weekly on uh, Beacons of Calistray, uh, produced by uh, your RPG Hour Truly. Um, and, you know, I may be around in some podcast spaces. Who knows? Well, this is Indie RPG Hour, where I try and gather some folks from uh, the indie realm of things and talk about different kinds of topics. And, of course, uh, it's Pride Month, so some Pride stuff. Um, but you can find, uh, if you want to have some other chats, um, I have basically closed down the Discord. I am migrating things over. Uh, it's now gilded.gg forward slash RPG Hour Studios. Um People are still trying to get used to the switch, uh, so there definitely is a little bit of like some wonkiness with it. Uh, our website is currently down because I was told by the original host that it was going to stay up bef by the time that I could get the new website up, but it's not. So we currently have no home out there outside of the Gilded and the Twitter, um, and we have a lot of different kinds of shows and things like that, uh, which you can head over to uh, Twitter at RPG Hour and see, uh, I'm going to start posting up a calendar of events and shows and things like that um, every Monday, if I can remember to, um, every week at least. Um, and I think that's everything that I'm supposed to remember to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. until the dice roll again. Mm -hmm.